Gracious Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who brings us together. I thank you that in your divine wisdom you sent him to die for us. Father, we're, we're sorry he had to die. I wish sin would have never entered our circle, but, but we allowed it to come as human beings. But I thank you that you're such a gracious God that you allowed Jesus to bring the answer and to establish a love relationship with you. Father, we'll always praise you for that. And I ask tonight that you make this time together profitable for us, that your spirit would take the word and apply it to each of our lives. Help us to know what you say to us. Father, my words are not that important, but yours are. So I ask that each person can, will listen to you and hear that sentence, at least the sentence that you speak directly to them. Now, Father, I trust you for your grace in all matters in our lives. As we meet together, give us strength and energy to listen as well as to proclaim. May, your Lord, may our Lord and your Son be glorified. In Jesus Christ, do I pray. Amen. Okay, before I read the scripture, I want to give you a short introduction to both the scripture and to our subject tonight, so that when we read the scripture, we will be reading it intelligently, looking for what it's saying to us and seeking to hear it. We've just come through the Christmas season, and one of the themes of the Christmas season is joy. It started with the angels when they proclaimed joy to mankind, and it continues on through uh, many of the things that God did to move in the birth of Christ and to protect him. Joy is a big part of Christmas. But I submit to you that most people are not joyous in life. Most people do not enjoy life. They endure life. You hear them say something like, you know, if I could just change this particular situation in life, my, my life would be great. Or if, if I could just get rid of this problem in my life, things would be good. You see, they believe, most people believe, that life has to be perfect in order to be joyous. But let's be honest. There is no such thing as a problem-free life. There never has been, not with mankind. And there's, it, that's not true today. I mean, there has, every one of us has problems. You do, and I do. So if we're going to be joyful, we have to be joyful in the situation, amid the problems, in every circumstance of life. Now, in order to understand what this scripture is going to say to us, we have to understand the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness comes from the old English word happenstance, from which we get our word circumstance. And that's very insightful, because happiness is external in nature. By that I mean it's dependent upon what is happening around us. You can go to Disneyland and have a happy time, and then you leave, and your happiness leaves too, sometimes even before you get home. You've experienced that, I see. Yeah, okay. But joy is different than that. Joy is internal. 
joy is dependent upon what is happening within you, not around you. And this is what the Bible is going to speak to us about tonight. Now, you have to understand the background of this scripture to really understand this. Uh, the Apostle Paul, whom God chose to write this scripture, he has been in miserable circumstances for four years. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea for a trumped-up charge. And then he was put on a ship to go to Rome to appear before Nero, whom we know was not very kind toward Christians. On his way there, he was shipwrecked. He was stranded on an island, bitten by a poisonous snake, awaited the winter out on that island, and then continued on to Rome, where he spent two more years in prison waiting for trial, the outcome of which could have been his execution. Now, during this two-year period in Rome, he was chained to a guard for 24 hours a day. Every four hours, he got a new guard. He had absolutely no privacy. Now, in spite of these less-than-perfect circumstances that had been happening for four years in his life, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Now, what is Paul's secret? How does Paul stay so positive in prison and triumph over troubles? How does he delight in difficulties and stay so joyful in spite of the fact that things have not worked out the way he had planned it? Now, the answer to that question is very simple. God has done a work, a marvelous work, in the inner being of Paul. God has changed Paul from within. Now, God has given him the three essentials for joyous living. Now, before we turn to the Scripture and see these three essentials, please hear what I'm saying. These are things that God gives us when we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him work in our lives. These are not things that you learn and go out and do. Christian life has really never been that. The Christian life is all about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, nurturing that relationship, and letting him work on our insides, our minds and our hearts, and letting him change us so that we live a different way on the outside with our actions and our words and our attitudes, things like this. When you surrender your life to Christ, when you believe what he has done on the cross, that that opens the way for you to have a relationship with God at, because your sins can be forgiven. And when you make him Lord of your life, he works within you to develop these things. Now, it is true that if you do not cooperate with him, these things do not develop. And that is why you see so many church members who are not joyous in life. But if we Christians would simply cooperate with the Holy Spirit that has been given with us, God develops these essentials in our lives. Now remember that as we turn to the Scripture now. Let's read the Scripture. Beginning in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. 
Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what is happening to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. Now, I hope you caught some of these essentials, but I'm going to make them clear for you as we look into the Scripture. Now, I'm going to do this by referring to these essentials as a need that I have in my life. That will make them, I think, more clear to us than any other way I could express them. And the first one is this. I need a perspective to live from. I need a perspective to live from. As I said, everyone has problems. You brought yours with you tonight. Your problems, though, are not as important as the way you are looking at your problems. See, the way we look at our problems, problem our problems is far more important than the problem itself. Our perspective makes a difference. Now, if you look in verse 12 and verse 13, you see Paul's perspective here. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, do you understand what Paul is saying? He's saying, I can see the best even in the worst. I can see God working in my problems even though they haven't worked out my way. See, Paul had always wanted to come to Rome, but he had planned to hold a crusade. Instead, God put him in prison where he would write a portion of the New Testament. He chained him to a palace guard. Now, these were the elite troops of the empire. They were chosen by Caesar himself, and they were his bodyguards. They were among the highest paid people in the empire. And after 12 years of service, they would retire, and they were made leaders in Rome. Do you see, there was not a more strategic group for Paul to witness to 
than these Praetorian guards, as they sometimes referred to. Paul, God put, this is the amazing thing. God put Paul in Rome. Nero pays the bills for him being there. And Nero chains him to a new guard every four hours that he is there. That means in two years, at four-hour shifts, Paul would have had the opportunity to witness to 4,380 guards. Now, that's assuming that there were no repeats. There may have been a few repeats, but probably not many for this kind of duty. These guards had an inside track to the emperor, so much so that many of the emperor's family came to know Christ. History tells us that Nero had his wife, his mother, and children killed because they became Christians. Do you see what God was doing? Paul could. Paul saw God at work. He knew he had a captive audience. Look in verse 14. It says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, would that have happened? Would unbelievers be witnessed to and believers strengthened in the Lord if Paul had been discouraged and depressed because of his circumstances? No. No, you see, it was Paul's attitude that allowed God to work in these circumstances through him to touch the lives of other people. It was Paul's attitude that encouraged the other people. See, correct? Courage is um, contagious. It spreads like wildfire. And other believers were bold because Paul was being bold. He wasn't depressed. He saw God at work in his circumstances. That was his perspective. The truth is that the perspective that you and I need to live from is stated very clearly in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. A verse you know very well. It reads like this, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Don't miss the lesson here. God has a purpose for every one of my problems. That's the perspective I can live from. That he builds in me. Now, some of you are old enough here to know who Corey Ten Boone was. Some of you may be too young to, to know, so let me tell you. She was a Christian that was put in one of the concentration camps during the Holocaust in Germany. She was put there along with her sister. And while she was there, her body became infect, in, infected with lice. One day, she was complaining about the lice to her sister, and her sister reminded her of the Bible verse that says, in all things, give thanks, and she encouraged Corey to give thanks for the lice. Now, Corey's immediate response was, how can I thank God for lice? But because the Bible was so clear in its teaching, she made a choice to do so. Sometime later, she learned that because of the lice, she was protected from the assaults of the German guards. You see, there's benefits in every problem. But we have to be taught to see them. Now, I will admit to you that this is not easy. 
And that's because our tendency is to only see the problem. Our tendency is not to see the benefits, but the problem itself. And we look at that problem, continue to look at that problem, and the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger until our perspective is completely distorted. But Paul says that God has a purpose behind my problems. And therefore, I have a new perspective in life. And when you come to Jesus Christ, when you surrender to him as Savior and Lord, and you get this perspective, you're well on the way to joyous living. Now, the second essential is this. I need a priority to live by. I need a perspective to live from. As a human being, I need a perspective to live from, and I need a priority to live by. See, when things get tough, I need to know what's really important in order to separate the trivial from the significant. I can live my life by problems or by priorities. And either you will decide what is important in your life or other people will decide that for you. And if you don't choose your priorities, you'll go around putting out fire, one fire after another fire, simply living life from problem to problem to problem, never choosing what is important. Look in verses 15 through 17. This is what Paul said. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, not only am I in prison, but there's guys out there who are attacking my ministry. They're jealous, they're envious, and they're attacking me. Other ministers are criticizing me even while I am in prison. That's what he's saying here. Now listen to me, my brothers and sisters in Christ. You want to lose your joy quicker than any other way. Just let somebody start to criticize you while you're trying to do what's good, while you're trying to serve the Lord. That will cause your joy to leave you quicker than most anything else. Unless you're like Paul. Look in verse 18. This is what Paul says. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether in, from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I will rejoice. See, Paul is not going to let anybody or anything take his joy. Not circumstances, not critics. He said their motives may be wrong, their style may be wrong, but the message is getting out. So what? Now, this is the only question you're going to find in the book of Philippians. In the Greek, it literally reads, so what? And this is a question of priority. See, Paul has set his priorities, he has set his values, and he's not going to let the little things steal his joy. He knows what is important in life. Years ago, 
when Charlie Grimm was managing the Chicago Cubs, they went through a batting slump that caused them to slide to the very last place in their division. Now, the newspaper, was, they were giving Grimm a very hard time. They were saying things, why can't we get decent hitters in here? One night, a Chicago Cubs scout called the coach, and he said this. He said, Coach, I've just stumbled onto a great pitching find. This afternoon, this kid pitched a perfect game, 27 strikeouts in a row. Nobody even touched the ball until a guy got a foul in the last inning. I've got this kid with me right now. You want me to sign him up? And Grimm responded like this. He said, no, we don't need pitchers. We need hitters. Sign up the guy who hit the foul ball. Now, I know that sounds funny, but the truth is, we have a manager here who has forgotten his top priority. See, his top priority was not to get hitters. His top priority was to win ball games. Can you see how when we keep looking at the problem, our perspective becomes distorted? We start trying to put out fires all the time rather than to fulfill the priorities that God has set in our lives. Now, what should be my priority? What is the priority that God would have me live by? Well, I believe that Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6 states it very clearly. It says, In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. This is what counts. Putting God and his will first in our lives. This is what Christ will build in our hearts and in our minds if we'll just surrender to him and cooperate with him as he seeks to do his work within us. So don't miss the lesson. Let Christ help you focus on what is important. Before I leave this, let me ask you, those of you who are married. How many of the arguments that you have in your marriage are about the little things that don't matter? Now think about it. Just the other day, my wife and I had a discussion about how to sign a certain email. Now that's earth shaking, isn't it? The president ought to uh, comment on that, shouldn't he? No. It's not worth losing your joy over. This is why we have to cooperate with Christ particularly when things don't go exactly right, you need to take a step back and say, something's wrong, Lord, and it's wrong inside of me. Do your work. Do your work. The third prior, uh, excuse me, not prior, the third essential is this. First, let me name the other two. I need a perspective to live from, I need a priority to live by, and I need a purpose to live for. I need a purpose to live for. See, when Paul penned these words, he was old and he was tired. He had been in prison for four years. He's ready to go on to heaven. 
They've taken almost every single thing from him. They've taken his freedom, his privacy, most of his friends, and a lot of his ministry. They've taken almost everything from him except the one thing they could not take from him, and that is his purpose for living. And he states that purpose in verse 21. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, he's not suicidal here, but he is is anticipating death. He's not afraid of dying. Dying is going on to better things. It's getting out of prison. But then Paul says, but while I'm here, I have a purpose for living. And that purpose is Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now let's do a little little, uh, looking at our own hearts here. How would you fill in the blank? For me to live is blank. Now, please, don't answer the way you know you're supposed to answer it. Look at your life and let your life answer it. What should you put there according to the way you've been living? For me to live is blank. Now, the media advertisements, they show the value of our society because they tell us what we want to hear. And based on advertising, I would say that most Americans would fill in this blank in one of three ways. Some would fill in, for me to live is possessions. (laughs) I get it out. These people, they want to get and then get new things and then get more things. It's get, get, get. In America, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. And that's dumb. You stop to think about it. One young man put it like this. He said, I've got to go to work to keep up with the Joneses, and just about the time I catch up with them, they refinance, and I'm in trouble again. But for a lot of people, it is possessions. That's what they live for, is to get things. Others would answer it like this. For me to live is pleasure. Anything to pleasure them and to overcome some of the boredom in their lives. These people, they'll spend all weekend trying to pleasure themselves, just overcome the boredom, and then Monday comes, and it's back to work, and their life is the pits again. See, that's the problem. Pleasure does not last. Others would answer this, for me to live is power, position, Prestige or popularity, all of them are about the same. See, we dress for success and we drive to impress. Image is everything to these people. Everything. If you look at the younger generation, quite often it is this popularity. They'll, almost, they'll do almost anything to fit into their peer group, even lessen their standards of living that they live by in order to fit in. If you are one of those young people, listen to me, please. You can be the most important person on campus and then graduate and come back two years later and not a person will remember you. You see, one minute you're the hero, and the next minute you're the zero. It doesn't last. See, that's what the problem with possessions and pleasure and power and 
popularity, they just don't last. They don't last a lifetime, much less for eternity. And some of you men, be honest about it here. You will give your blood, sweat, and tears for your career. And then one day, it's going to be all gone. You're going to be too old to do that job, or at least other people are going to think you're too old to do that job. It's not going to last. The best use of your life is to invest it in something that will outlast it. And the truth is, there's far more to this life than a nice home and a beautiful car and stereos and music here and video games and stuff like that. The here and now, there's a lot more to life than that. Someone has said it very wisely. They said, only a fool would go all through life unprepared for something they know will eventually happen. What should be our purpose for living? Well, another way to ask that is, why does God leave you here on earth after you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? I've heard our pastor ask that. Why doesn't he just go ahead and take us to heaven when we come to know Jesus? Well, the Apostle Paul answers that question very clearly. If you look in verses 23 and 24, he says this. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. It is more necessary for you, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See, Paul's purpose was to benefit others for Jesus Christ. That was Paul's purpose. Paul's purpose was to help other people in the name of Jesus for the glory of Christ. That was his purpose, and that should be ours. Don't miss this secret to joyous living. Jesus first, others second, and myself last. I submit to you that the reason we have so many in our culture who are discouraged and depressed and there's so little joy in people's lives is because in our society there is a preoccupation with self. We're always asking things like, what is best for me? What will make me happy? What do I want? What do I need? But when we come to Jesus Christ and we surrender our lives to him, he gives us a greater, greater purpose than just ourselves. Much greater. Now, there's no such thing as problem-free living. But God wants you to enjoy the rest of your life. He wants you to enjoy this year. He really does. So he's willing, if you will let him, to give you the three essentials of joyous living. He will give you a perspective to live from, which is God has a purpose for every one of my problems. A priority to live by, putting God and his will first. And a purpose to live for, to benefit others for Jesus Christ. He will give you these things. He will grow them in your life if you will just let him. If we would just let him. Now, that's what the Scripture says to us tonight. What do we do with it? See, every time you hear the Scripture proclaimed, or you hear it taught, or you read it, you have to ask this question. Now what am I going to do with this?
If you happen to be here and you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, my guess is most of us have, but if you happen to be one here tonight that has not, I hope that you have seen what Christ can do for your life. He can make you joyous. He can change everything about your life if you just give him a chance. If you would believe what he's done on the cross for you, died that your sins could be forgiven and you could come into a living, loving relationship with God. And if you would make him, Lord, just cooperate with what he's doing in your life, he will build this in you. You don't have to make yourself do it. He grows it in you. If you're a believer tonight and you look at your life and you really are not joyous and you know that, then there is a problem. There's a spiritual problem. It's one of two things. Either you never really came into a loving relationship with Jesus, you just joined the church and became kind of a social group, uh, support from others, but never a loving relationship with Jesus. Or you have done that, but you let other things become more important to you than what Jesus wants to do in your personal life. And you've ceased to cooperate with him. You've, you've done, you're doing what the Bible calls grieving the Holy Spirit within you. And if you are, you've got to make a decision to make him Lord. To recognize what he wants to do in you is the most important thing. And just cooperate. It's not always easy. You know that, and I know that. But that's where you cry out to, to God for help. You tell him, something's wrong here, Lord. Do your work in me. Do your work in me. I want that above everything. Now, usually after this message, I would give an invitation to have people walk the aisle. But I'm not going to do that tonight. And let me tell you why. Because in an emotional time, you can walk this aisle and then leave and never be changed. We're not talking about emotions here. We're talking about decisions that you make from within your being with God's help. You know God wants you to make it, and so you make it. And you can do that right where you are. Now, I believe you will make it public sometime. If he's working in your life and you've never made it public, you will. Okay? And I don't have to have you come tonight. Because God, what he starts, he finishes. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? That means that if we have surrendered to Christ, we will be joyful in life ultimately as he does his work. Because he will give us the essentials. We'll just let him. Would you bow with me in prayer?
Gracious Father, we have honestly looked at your word. We have sought to let it speak to our own hearts and minds. We acknowledge to you that as human beings, we sometimes put other things before you. Forgive us for that. But may tonight and in the future when we have done that, would you speak to us clearly that we can stop right in the middle of life and ask you to do your work, to make the changes that are needed, and give us confidence through your spirit that you will do just that. Father, there may be some here tonight struggling with this to have a joyous life. All they see are problems. And I ask, Father, that you, through your grace and your mercy, begin to work on that perspective. That you hear their heart cry out that this is what they want. And that you respond in a way that they know that you're at work. And then, Father, give them the priority that is needed and the purpose that is needed. Father, the world's hard on us, so you know that. And I pray that by your gracious spirit, you overcome the world. Because he that is within us is stronger than he that is within the world. Thank you for this, Father. Thank you that you are at work. And thank you for helping us to understand how you're working within us, just as you did in Paul. We trust you for your grace both tonight tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. And we trust you in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.